Good morning again. It's a blessing to see all the visitors here and everybody here this morning. Welcome. And uh, it's nice to worship with the family this morning. I'd like to turn to Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37 this morning. Matthew 22, 37. And uh, it says, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Have you ever been told to scoot over? You ever been sitting on a bench and somebody comes up to you and says, please scoot over? Scoot over, need to make more room. You ever been sitting in a church pew and been told to scoot over? Fathers, have you been trying to teach your daughters how to drive and you're like, scoot over. I'm driving. This morning, I'd like to talk about scooting over. And this morning, if you all just want to scoot over just a little bit in your minds and your hearts. We have Brother Jake here that's had a conversation with the Lord the last week or so, or however long he's been having that conversation with the Lord, and just scoot over this morning. Let's also go to Luke 6.45, if you don't mind. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For the abundance of the heart is the mouth speaketh. So how about your heart and mind this morning? You, you know, you come here to church. Is it routine? Is it something that your parents always taught you to do? And so you just kind of come knowing that's what you got to do. That's what you should do. It's what feels good. It's what looks good. You know, this morning we talked about salt and savour. You know, sometimes people can look like they're salty and underside it's just a coating on the outside. So how's your heart and mind this morning? Who's taking up the space? That's kind of what I want to talk about a little bit here, starting out here this morning. Um, is there so much there? Is there so much packed in your heart and in your mind with whatever else is going on in your life that you can't even scoot over? Somebody ever told you to scoot over and you're looking down like, man, everybody else is better moving because I can't move. I can't move. So you start blaming other things. You know, you start, you know, God asked you, you know, where am I in the mix? You know, what, what is in your heart that's leading you to think the thoughts that you have? What is your filter this morning? What is your, are you allowing things in your mind and your heart to fester? You know, we're human, okay? Everybody, we face that, don't we? The challenge of being human. And, and along with being human is the thoughts that come to our mind, the battles that we have there. You can't deny the thoughts that you come into your head. It's what you do with those thoughts. It's how you filter those thoughts that are the challenge, isn't it? So is it so full that you can't even scoot over? Revelations 3.20. I'm going to go to a few places here this morning, so you know, bear with me just a little bit here. But sometimes, well, all the time, God's word about says it best, in my opinion. Here it says on... Revelations 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If, anybody, if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. Now there's more to that than what initially you would think. Supping is not something that you're just sitting there and he's there and hanging out. 
You know, we're not, he's not just coming over, hanging out in a recliner, taking up space. He's coming in there and talking with you, having a conversation. He's coming in there to, to figure out, you know, what needs cleaned out. What do you need help with? Where do, where, where's the, to guide you, to lead you? You know, have you ever realized in the Bible when, when someone accepts Jesus or when Jesus said, I'm here and he leaves, but I'm bringing you a comforter. You put Jesus in your heart first. And he dwells there and he talks to you and he, he changes you. He, that progression happens, but he says, you know what? You may feel lonely sometimes, but you're not going to be alone. I'm going to bring you a comforter. That's the Holy Spirit. Your conscience starts to change. The Spirit starts to come into your mind, dwells there, sups with you. You ever realize after you become a believer that what you thought was cool, what you thought was good, what you thought was fun, what you thought was neat, some of those start to change a little bit? You ever, you ever realize that? Is that something that you did? Does that change happen because of you? I would like to recommend this morning that no, it's not. You made the decision to accept Jesus, and Jesus is holding up his end of the deal. He says, I'm going to bring you a comforter this morning, or today, or tomorrow. And today you might feel like you're doing okay, and you're not a believer, you're just somebody who's searching. And that's, we've all been there. And you're maybe somebody who's struggling, and still might be a believer, and still searching. And I can guarantee you 100%, and there's not a whole lot of things you can guarantee in life 100%, you know, we guarantee plants in our line of industry, and I can't, you know, I, but I say with a little asterisk, a big asterisk beside that, depending on what the weather, and David's laughing because he knows exactly where I'm coming from. It will warranty your plants, and we'll, whatever with us, and we'll take care of them if something goes wrong, blah, blah, blah. But I can't guarantee you 100% that that thing's going to live. But I do know one thing that I can guarantee you today, and the only thing that you can guarantee today 100% is the Holy Spirit will come in there. And Jesus will come in there and dwell and sup with you and talk with you and comfort you and guide you if you let him. You know, it talks about him knocking on the door of your heart. It's not you coming up there and looking through the peephole and saying, oh, Jesus is right there. I feel better. He could be outside that door your whole life and you go down to your final breath and he's still knocking and you're still looking out the peephole. Just because Jesus is in the vicinity doesn't mean that you're going to change. He wants in. And if you got so much clutter behind your door that you can't open it up to let him in, there's a problem. I've been to houses when I was in designing homes for people, and I go in to design a, a remodel for somebody, and this poor lady in a wheelchair and for sales, she, was, she said, you know, I'm sorry. She apologized up front, and she said, I'm sorry, but excuse me for a second. Um, and you could hear her moving things around, and she opens the door, and there's barely even room to come in. And she's in a wheelchair. It was the saddest thing I've ever seen. But what Jesus cries over, you want to know what Jesus cries over? Is when he comes to the house of your heart and it's so cluttered that you can't open the door. And he knows you're hurting and he knows you have all that stuff in your heart and you can't open it up. Ryan, get your house cleared. And I can't clean everything. There's a lot of stuff in there that I don't even want to touch. There's something on that top shelf in that dark closet back of the hallway that I don't even want to mess with. And guess what? He comes in. He says, Ryan, let's go to that closet back here in that top shelf that you don't even like, and let's go take care of something. But we're going to do it together. I can vouch for it. I promise you. I promise you with 100% guarantee that he's going to take care of you. But be prepared for a conversation. Be prepared for a time of supping with the Lord. And you won't turn back. And for those who know what I'm talking about, it's life-changing. You know, what we have in our heart and our mind shows what you have in your soul and your spirit. 
Jesus dwells in the heart. The Holy Spirit dwells in your mind. Your conscience becomes the dwelling place of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit. So what's left? What is the gauge? What is the thermometer there? It's your soul. It's your spirit. God sits there and looks at you and your soul, the inner depths of you, and says, okay, what's the ingredients of Ryan this morning? His heart and his mind is what's dictating who I am. I can't fool, I could maybe fool some of you some of the time, but I can't fool everybody all the time. And I sure can't fool God. That gauge is in you permanently. There's nothing you're going to do about it. God's going to see what your thermometer looks like. And that's a harsh reality to me and, and to hopefully everyone. 1 John 4, 15 through 17 1 John 4, 15. And whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him. And he in God, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may be, have the boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. You want to be comfortable at judgment? I'm sorry. I don't care. I go at judgment seat. I'm going to be trembling. But one thing I can be assured of is I can go in trembling but yet comfortable in humbleness. Knowing what God did for me. Folks, I'm not perfect. And anybody looking on this morning, I was the one of the worst of the worst probably. We all could say that probably in our own way. I may not have killed somebody, but I was a murderer in my mind. There was times where I couldn't stand somebody and I might have hated them. What did Jesus say about somebody who thought evil against someone, just thought the thought? They're no better or no worse than an actual murderer who pulled a trigger. I was a sinner, but I'm a sinner saved by grace. And that's a lot of grace. I look at myself, I judge myself harder than anybody. If somebody's going to be hard on me, it's going to be me. And sometimes do I judge myself harder than Christ does. And the Lord's in there, in my heart, supping with me, and the Holy Spirit's sitting there talking with me, and he said, Ryan, it's okay. I know what you did was not good, but I helped clean it out. I know it's dirty, and I know it's nasty. But that's what we're here for. But Lord, really? I mean, really? I mean, it's, it's bad. There's some of the worst criminals out there that feel like there is no way of saving them because they're harder on themselves than what Jesus is. Move out of the way, scoot over, and let Jesus take the wheel. Just to put it plainly. That couldn't have been a better lyric in my opinion. Let Jesus take the wheel. What am I afraid of? You know, I remember when I was in young folks and I was younger and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's a commitment. Man. It's become a Christian, I got to change, I got to do things different, I got to be different, I got to, oh, man, it's the best thing I ever did. You want something that's cool? You want something that's fun? Walk with Jesus. It's the thrill of your life. Revelations 3.21. I didn't read this verse. We're going to go back. I was at 3.20. We're going to finish that. So you know, verse 20 we talked about beholding as he's knocking on the door. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and sat down with my father and am set down with my Father in his throne. I'm going to propose something to you this morning. And I, and I, to me, believe this is true. When Jesus was on the cross, was he 100% man or was he 100% God right then?
I'd like to propose that he was man right there. There's times in Jesus' walk that I think he felt like 100% man. And you don't think Jesus experienced what you experience in life. I want to let you know something. Jesus relinquished a lot of his power and probably walked away completely at times. He hurt like you hurt and worse. Sometimes I wonder if that's even possible because sometimes you and I, we hurt. Sometimes. And we don't read it in the Bible where God physically did what we just went through. We don't read physically where Jesus physically went where we just went or where we just had to go through or what we just had to do. But Jesus walked that walk. And he overcame as a man because who was in him? He was 100% committed. But how can he possibly 100% Because God was inside of him. He knew. Yes, he was Jesus. That's right. We can look at him and go, well, he's Jesus. I'm me. I'm just, I'm just a human. No. Jesus knows. Jesus was human. Take comfort in the fact that he knows what he's doing. He feels your pain. You know, we talked about this morning when we talked about salt and savour. One of those is those who mourn, they will be comforted. Some of the people in this world are good comforters. Some of those people in this world are good mourners with you. God is the best at all of them because he's been in every one of those positions. And sometimes I have to remind myself, Ryan, the clutter of your life, clean it out, scoot over, because you're about to learn something. You're about to have an exciting experience to see how God brings you through your time, walks with you, blesses you with so much joy that he wants to give you. He has a gift that's bigger than he can. The thrill of the walk with Christ through your life. You look back and you see all those times where God blesses you with so much joy. And it's the best is yet to come. But he overcame. He overcomes. We'll sit with him. Can you imagine? I was talking to somebody not too long ago. I said, I just love the picture of sitting at the steps at the feet of Jesus and listening. And conversation back and forth. This morning, we're sitting at the feet of Jesus and his word. There's no pressure on Jake this morning. Because when you're talking to Jesus, he's right there. Scoot over this morning and experience what the Lord's going to bring you this morning. Um, this is the moment in time where we take prayer requests. Ken, if we could, if you wouldn't mind praying this morning. Um, I, I do have a couple. One is, or actually two and one. My uncle uh, Dennis Flora and his wife Julie are both ones in the hospital. Julie's in the hospital with diverticulitis, pretty severe. My uncle Dennis is on the last. He's struggling, cancer. I uh, could appreciate prayer out there. I also want to think about uh, Leah Filburn, Darlene Wolf. Both lost their husbands not too long ago. Family, friends. Um, so, anybody else? Prayer this morning. Remember the family that tragically lost their seven-year-old son this week. Yeah. Anyone else? Don't want to miss anybody that needs prayer this morning? Okay. Ken, good prayer.
Alright, we made it a minute. <clears throat> the preacher in Ecclesiastes said, There's a time to keep silence, and there's a time to speak. And I'm assuming most of you probably thought it was past time for me to speak. And we're only, that was only one minute. <clears throat> um, Silence can be pretty awkward, can it? I find it interesting to think about silence because it can mean so many different things. It can mean, um, just depends on kind of where you are in life, what silence means to you. If you have a young family, like I do, you have X amount of however many youngsters running around, lots of different ages. And maybe you're homeschooling. It doesn't take much, and you're craving for some silence. And it's not really that awkward at that point in time. Just uh, recently, some of you know, and I shared some of this on family night, Friday night, we went on a RV trip to northern Idaho, was gone for about a week and a half <clears throat> and we had uh, the opportunity and, and I will say the blessing to take an RV and we took an RV trip to northern Idaho to see my brother-in-law and Kenya's whole family was out there and it didn't take very long we left on a Friday night about eight o'clock and we got out here on Interstate 70 and it didn't take very long before I was kind of thinking maybe we should turn this boat around and head on back home. This thing, I, I've never driven an RV in my life. And it was a Class A motorhome that we'd borrowed. And uh, very nice. And we thought it was just going to be amazing. To have all this room. You have the bathroom right in the back. And this is going to be the way to travel. And we get going down Interstate 70. And you feel every bump in the road, and then some. And I almost wondered if it was smoother to drive on the rumble strip. And this whole thing's moving around and swaying and banging around. And, and really, I think what it was was my expectations were so high that I had no idea what I was getting into. And we had a good time. Okay, we got past Indianapolis, probably the worst stretch of road we drove on. And things smoothed out and it was fine we got used to driving the thing but it was loud and by the time I got home a week and a half later my ears rang for quite a while it was just loud it was just different than anything and I craved some silence just some quiet <clears throat> also um, I'm kind of deviating from my notes a little bit but the writer of Ecclesiastes I'll get back to the silence thing here in a minute. It's kind of a rabbit trail. The writer of Ecclesiastes, he looked out in the future, and guess what he saw? He saw the year 2020. And uh, as you read, you read in Ecclesiastes 3.5, it says there's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. That's 2020. I just, as I was reading through that, I thought that was kind of humorous. Another thing about silence, awkward silence. I remember when Kenny and I were dating, we dated for a while, longer than probably the average conservative Christian, I'll say. Um, we had times where it was just awkward silence. You know, we called each other later in our dating relationship. We called each other probably about every day, every evening. And we just spent time on the phone and some of the time was just in kind of awkward silence. It was just kind of weird. And same with dating. You know, you, you're with each other every weekend, and you can only go to so many restaurants and, and whatnot. But there's just awkward silence. What do you do with it? <clears throat> Another thing I come across that seems like our bodies have an inward timer of silence. You can only handle so much silence for so long at a time. 
Um, there's a man that's in London that set the Guinness Book of World Record for the longest time in a silent room. 83 minutes was all he could handle. And this room is in a college in um, London. In a, and they built this room. I don't know how thick the walls are. But even on the inside of the room, the whole entire room is lined with foam triangles. And they're stacked on there, and they go two this way, and then they flip all over. The, they cover the whole thing, the door and everything. And they shut the door, and this guy, they're recording him. They have a camera in there, and they have microphones in there. And he's allowed, every five minutes, he's allowed to talk for one minute. Now, he had to talk quiet, no decimals, over 25 or something. Um, and by 60 minutes into this thing, he was losing his mind. He thought, and you know, so they documented this because every minute, or every five minutes, he could talk a minute. And about 60 minutes, he was saying, I am pretty sure I'm here in the London Underground or the subways underneath me. He said, I'm just hearing this roaring in my ear. And another thing he said was, it's amazing how much noise your body makes that you have no idea. And um, the, the people there at the, the college knew what was going on as he was literally hearing the blood in his ears going through his ears and around his eardrum or through his eardrum. And he, he, he started seeing things and just kind of not really hallucinating, but he was losing his mind, and he could only hack it for 83 minutes. It did set the world record for that. But we have a timer in us that we can only handle so much silence, but yet different times in our life, we crave silence. Interesting thing. So I asked the question today, and those of you watching on YouTube already know this, but this is kind of the title of the message. Um, and that is, is God silent today? Is God silent in your life today? Um, if you want to turn uh, with me to Malachi chapter 4. Um, if you don't know where that is, it's the last book in the Old Testament. I'm going to read the whole last chapter. Chapter 4. It's not real long. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go, go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall... And the soles of your feet that day shall I do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb, for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the day, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest they come and smite the earth with a curse. Now, I don't know how your Bible is, but I turn my Bible over, and here's what I find. I don't know if everybody can see that. It's a blank page, empty, silence. It's one of the only pages in the Bible that doesn't have anything on it, at least in my Bible. Yours may be different. But that silence is widely known among theologians as about a 400 space of time, 400 years of time. Now there's some different opinions on that and I'm not going to get into all that. Um, so 400 years that God was silent. Went from the prophets to the end there in Malachi and then until the birth of Jesus in, in Matthew. 400 years of silence. And yet we all just got awkward over one minute. It may be a little bit different and you know, I'm not here to say that, that there was no acts of God done through that 400 years. Um, but from the writing or from the prophets 
to the birth of Jesus, 400 years of silence. And you know, thanks be to God that Matthew chapter 1, verse 25 happened. That's the verse that says, I was talking about Joseph and Mary, and it said, He knew her not till she brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. He not only brought the end of the 400 years, but he brought salvation to us, and he brought grace and lots of different things he brought with him. So I want to look at a few areas and spend some of our time proving that God's not silent today. Now, I don't know where you're at. We just heard some prayer requests that, you know, I know there's a lot of people struggling. And I struggle with my own things, too. And, but as I hear, you know, the death of a seven-year-old son, I can't hardly relate to that. And, and what that must feel like and what they're going through or the loss of your spouse. Um, it's got to be extremely rough. But I guarantee you that God's not silent today. And it's a promise that we can claim. It's a promise that we can hold on to. <clears throat> if we go back to uh, 2010, some of you may remember this happening. You may remember this story. You uh, go out to Chile, you'll find 33 men trapped in a mine in Chile. They're called the Chilean miners, I guess, incident. It happened on um, August 5th, 2010. They were trapped 2,300 feet below ground. That's a half a mile straight down. The actual mine was about three miles long. It spun in a big corkscrew type all the way down. And somewhere roughly halfway down, I think they're estimating a 700-ton rock broke free, and it crushed about five layers of that mine. There was also another group of miners that were above that collapse, and they got out. But there's 33 men that were trapped 2,300 feet below ground. And for them 33 men down there, they couldn't see anything for the first six hours. It was all just straight dust. It took about six hours for the dust to settle. And they couldn't really figure out what to do. They tried, there's ventilation shafts down through there for air ventilation. And they tried climbing the ladders up through those. But the company that they work for could care less about safety. They've had, uh, at this point, I don't remember um, how many safety violations they've had. I think six of their workers had died in the previous years. But they just paid their, their workers a little higher, so they stayed and worked in the mine. They, these miners got paid about 20% higher than the average miner in Chile. So they kept chugging along. So they got up, climbing the ladders and the ventilation shafts, and suddenly they ran out of ladder. There again, their employer failed to install the ladders and the ventilation shaft. So they had to climb back down. There was really no way for them to get up through those. Um, on the top side, people were in a frantic. They were trying to figure out how to get to these people. They were sure they were still alive, or at least survivors, but they didn't know how to get to them. They sent another crew from the top down some ventilation shafts, and they kind of got stuck and had to back back out, and they were thinking about getting some equipment and opening those back up to go down, and the second collapse happened on the 7th of August and that shut everything down. The ventilation shafts were crushed. There was no way for 33 Chilean miners to get out. So up top they started, um, I think within three days they started drilling about a six inch hole. And they drilled all the way, they drilled for 17 days. And they kind of had an estimate. Down on the bottom there was a, what they call a shelter and so where a lot of these guys took lunch and it was right at the time, right at noon. So they were pretty sure that they were all down there. But they couldn't set up and go straight down like they wanted because it's right on top of the collapsed mine. They had to set up and go, and they couldn't go at a 90 degree angle down. They had to go at an 82 degree angle. And it, and it was hard rock, and it took a long time. They ran into a lot of problems. Needless to say, they drilled eight holes 17 days later they pulled the drill bit back up and it had a note attached to it. And actually while the, when the drill bit thrust down in through 
the uh, tunnel down there. It wasn't right at the shelter. Soon after they stopped drilling, they started hearing taps on the drill bit. They knew that there was people down there. They sent a note up and said, all 33 of us are fine. I don't know if you guys remember this story. I'm pretty fascinated by it. <coughs> September 5th came, and they started drilling for the rescue hole. At this point in time, they had communication with the people. They had three holes that they got down and could use for communication. They used to get food to these people. Um, at that point in time, their ration, I think, was two crackers, a sip of milk, and one spoonful of tuna every 48 hours. They had all lost roughly 18 to 20 pounds apiece, and they had just ran out um, about a day before they drilled down in with that six-inch hole. So they were going to be relatively able to sustain if they could keep their sanity. So I'll try and speed this story up. It could get kind of long, but uh, October the 9th, the drilling was completed. They had a 28-inch hole. That, um, that was drilled all the way down that they could access the miners through. And they built a, it's called the Felix, I believe, or the Phoenix 2. Anyway, it's a capsule. And it's 13 foot tall, um, like 26 inches round. It had a door in it, some other stuff in it. I won't go into too many details. And so that's what they sent down this shaft to get these miners out. On October the 13th, 69 days, Later, they were all rescued, 33 of them. Fascinating story. So let's bring this down a little closer to home. That's all the way over in Chile. There's not a one of them men asked for a shovel. There's not a one of them men asked for a pick. And with their communication, they didn't say, hey, don't worry about it. We'll dig our way out of here. Okay. That wasn't even in their minds because they freely accepted the grace extended to them. And that's what I want to talk about is the fact that I can prove that God's not silent is because he gives grace upon grace. <clears throat> Scripture says grace upon grace. The fact that we're here today is by the grace of God. And he's not, God's not dead. He's still, he is alive and he is well. He has defeated the cross, he's defeated death, and grace upon grace. Yet how often in our lives do we say, God, don't worry about it. I'll just dig my way out of here. And we're deeper than 2,300 feet in the ground. We're, we're in our own sins. We can't even, we, if we were the best of the best of the best in this world today, we cannot get to heaven. Only by the grace of God. <clears throat> Yet, Time after time, we say, now nah, we'll get it. But not these men. They didn't have a choice. The only way to freedom was by the grace offered to them. So grace, kind of an interesting word. Um, first time we find it is in Genesis chapter 6. I might read that, Genesis 6, 1 through 8. Maybe some of you, if you think of the first time grace is mentioned in the Bible, maybe you'd think the writings of Paul, he talks a lot about grace, which we'll read some of that. It's actually all the way back in the book's book of beginnings. Chapter 6, we find a man named Noah. Genesis chapter 6, 1 through 8. And it came to pass when the men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and the daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, and they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. For that he is also flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. And there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that. When the sons of God came in unto one of the daughters of men, and they bare children unto them, the same become mighty men which were of old, men of renown. And... and Five through eight here is really what I'm after. And God saw that the wickedness of men was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented God that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him in his heart. And the Lord said, 
I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I even have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Good old Noah. And yet, we don't know anything about Noah. You could say, we don't know a thing. There's no previous, we never have heard anything mentioned of Noah up to this point. And we've never heard of grace either up till now. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And I was like, you know, wouldn't it have been nice if Noah would have wrote a book, right? 12 Easy Steps to Grace or something. Maybe started an Instagram page and could have updated me every day. Maybe with a picture of the sunset or sunrise or something. And, but he didn't. At this point, we don't really know much about it. But um, grace, we find out, it's not, grace is not up to the one who receives it, but it's up to the one who gives it. Really, our responsibility, the only thing we have in this thing of grace is the fact that we, re, we accept the gift given to us. That's where we get hung up. That's where our pride shows up real strong. We say, ah, we got this. It was not up to the miners 2,300 feet down. It wasn't up to them whether they were, had the grace given to them. So I want to read Romans 5. Now, this is where Paul talks a lot about grace. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there, but I thought I would just go ahead and read it anyway. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulations work with patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely, with righteous, for, scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure. For a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth, commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Very good picture of grace. <clears throat> Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Wherefore, as by one man's sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for they all have sinned. For unto the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them, that had not sinned over the similitude of Adam's transgressions, who is the figure of him that, has to, that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. But through the offense of one, many, many be dead, much more the grace of God, and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many." And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift, for the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men, to condemnation. Even so, by the righteous of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. 
So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that that offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So, I'm going to move on, on from to the next thing. Um, we're going to be running out of time shortly. But grace is, like I said earlier, straight evidence that God's not silent today in 2020. So another thing I thought of, and this gets a little personal to me, and I'll share a story with you. I didn't know if I would or not, but... Um, and that is God helps in time of need. And you find, I just wrote down a couple of scriptures. There's plenty more I could have wrote down. But Psalms 40:17 says, But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tarrying, O my God. And also Psalms 46:1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So some more promises you can claim in 2020 as we go through life. So, as many of you know, we moved in April this year uh, from Germantown up to the south side of Dark County. So it's still down there a ways. But soon after we moved, um, the place that we now live at has a bank barn that we had decided early on that we were going to do everything we could to keep. It was kind of, it wasn't necessarily run down. Everything was solid and straight and square. But the paint was pretty much gone. There was some rot around the windows that had busted out. And so we decided to, instead of, you know, trying to fix some of the rotten wood and whatnot and skimping by and just painting the barn, we decided we would kind of redo this barn. Um, I hired most of it out, but one thing that fell under that I thought I would do because it seemed somewhat easy was that I would paint the roof. Some of the roof was missing the standing seam, but the contractor I hired was going to go ahead and fix that, and then I was going to paint the whole roof. So that all got underway, and I don't even remember. This was probably in May, I'm guessing. Um, So as things kind of progressed, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I've never painted anything, hardly. let alone paint a, paint a roof. I've never ran, ran a paint gun before. I was going to use an airless paint gun. So I talked to a guy at work that does a lot of painting, and uh, he helped me out, and I talked to Sherman Williams quite a bit on this. And I sent him the paint that I had, and I said, here's the paint you've got to use. Um, since your barn roof, it's a gamble-style barn roof, is so steep, you're going to want to do two coats, two light coats. I said, all right. I took a Monday off. My plan was to paint one on on Friday, they said they needed 24 hours between coats. It's going to paint one on Friday and paint one on Monday. Um, one thing we learned about Dark County is it's really windy up here. I, don't, I grew up in Dark County. I don't remember that at all. But we live kind of on a hill, and it's definitely windy. I woke up the Friday I was going to paint, and it was way too windy. I would be painting everything. So much to my dismay, or that was on Saturday, sorry. Much of my dismay did not paint. And I thought, well, I'm going to go against Sherman Williams. I'm going to paint both coats on Monday. It's really the only time I got. Contractors wanting to put metal on on Tuesday, and I want to get the roof done. Up until this point, I'd pressure washed the roof, trying to get all the old paint off of it. And um, I even went through with a grinder and some little can of primer, and I tried to grind all the rust that was on it. And that took me several days. Um, so Monday rolls around, I wake up bright and early, and it was nice and calm, and I thought, oh, thank goodness, I can get this done. So as soon as the dew was off the roof, I started painting, and I painted all day. I painted, got the first coat done by lunch, ate some lunch, and got started on the second one. And I got done about 6 o'clock, and I got down from the man lift that I was in, and I suddenly heard thunder in the west, and I had paid no attention to the weather. And I looked to the west, and sure enough, just dark everywhere. And I thought, oh, great, here we go. This is marvelous. I pulled out my phone. I Googled how long does um, asphalt aluminum paint need to set before it gets rained. Big old, right in the top, 24 hours. 
thought, oh man, it's, it's only going to get two, maybe. And so I thought instantly in my head, everything, all this work I'd put into this, this silly barn roof, right? And it's not even that big of a deal when you talk about losing a seven-year-old son. But it was a big deal to me at that time. I put all this work into it and all this money in it, and I could just watch the paint just going to roll right off the barn roof. I could already imagine it. So our son Truett was there, and I was like, buddy, you better start praying because this ain't looking pretty. And he said, oh, yeah, I see. You know, I told him the deal. And I went in. I had paint everywhere. I was covered in this aluminum nasty paint. So I went in to take a shower. I had to Google how to even clean it off of me. And it took a while, and I got it all cleaned off, and I come out, and I needed to. Well, before I even put my clothes on, Truett came in the bathroom. And this is where it gets a little personal. He said, Dad, I saved the barn roof. And I was like, what? Get out of town. Are you kidding? How would you pull this off? He said, oh, I was a praying. And he said that the dark clouds come rolling over. You know what it's like, Dad. They come rolling in, and they just went right on over us. We didn't get any rain, Dad. I thought, really? Well, that's amazing. And I kind of explained to him that we were all praying about it. He didn't necessarily save the barn roof, but God did. So I got cleaned up, had to run into town to get some more stuff to clean the sprayer. And I get in and go just south of us. I'm probably not even a quarter mile, and it started raining. The roads were wet. And I was by myself, and I thought, this is how quick, you know, you go from a mountaintop to a, to a valley. But I thought, oh, great, how am I going to explain this to Truett? You know, here we, he just was talking about saving the barn roof, and now it's going to get rained on anyway. I'd already kind of, you know. So I go into Arcanum or uh, Lewisburg, and I come back, and right when I turned on our road, roads were dry. And I got home, and there had not been one drop of rain, rain on that roof. So helping in time of need, God does that today. And it's an, a great example that he is not silent. We don't have to go through life with a silent God. I'm going to go quick here. Um, the next one that I had is simply the voice of God. And we can read about that in Psalms 39. It, it lays out like, I forget, seven or eight different voices of God. And, and we can claim those today. And um, John 10 talks about the... Um, well, I might just turn there. I was actually planning on reading it, but I don't think I'm going to. Well, it talks about the shepherd and the sheep knowing his voice. It's kind of what it's all through that whole chapter. Um, so if, you, if you're going through life and you feel like that God's silent, I wonder if it's because maybe we're not spending enough time, so to speak, in the Word or, or meditating. And we don't actually, we're not even sure what God's voice is. We have a book that I read to the kids not very long ago, and we've read it a few times, and it's just it's a very good story about a king that has a daughter. He's going to hand to these three warriors. The only, the only thing they had to do was get to the palace, and they were all the way over here, and they had to go through this woods. And there's one stipulation. In, in the woods, there was these critters that, uh, I forget what they're called anyway, they had one very good power, and that was they could mimic anything. So they had to go through this woods, navigate through that, and get to the palace. It was a several-day journey. All three of them was allowed to take one person with them. And so I think it was four days into the journey, this warrior comes out, and this person he took with him came out. They were ragged. They get to the palace, and at the, at the celebration of all this, they asked him, they said, what was the, who was the person you brought? Um, and I forgot a key point in the beginning of the story. Every three, er, three times a day, the king was going to use a flute and sing a song to help guide you to the, to the palace. There was only two people that could sing that song. And one was the prince, the king's son, and the king. There were only two people that knew the song of this flute. And so... This warrior goes through, gets there, and so they ask him, who did he, br he bring with him? And um, he said, well, that was very simple. He said, I knew that the, um, the critters in the woods could imitate anything, and I knew that if I did not 
understand completely the voice of that uh, flute, I would be led astray. And so I brought the prince with me. And so he said, um, every time he would sing, he would, he would talk to the, to the prince and say, was that the king? And the prince knew the voice of God. And so that was, that's my encouragement today is that we need to bring, take Jesus through our journey of life to get to the palace or get to God. Jesus is the way. He said that. I'm the only way, the truth, and the life. No man enters heaven except through me. <clears throat> so I'm going to wrap this up. We'll sing a song here just shortly. But just in closing, just a, um, a reminder, a, just some encouragement that God's not dead today in 2020. It might seem like it, the world's in chaos. We all know that. We hear about it. I think I was just thinking on the way here. I think every person that stood up here since March has mentioned something about what's going on around here because it is a part of our lives, and it is um, you know, very real to all of us. But God's not dead. He's, God's not silent. It's amazing. Let's have a song.